0: of y'all have seen the movie The Princess Diaries? All right, good. I was told that you guys would have. I'm like 100 years older than you, but I figure it's a timeless movie. But for those of you who haven't seen it, let me fill you in a little bit on the plot. There's this completely unremarkable girl, frizzy-headed, glasses, just an everyday girl, who one day discovers that she's in fact a princess. She's in fact royalty. In fact, she's the princess of Genovia. And the entire movie is about her learning to accept her newfound identity because she doesn't think much of herself. She just thinks she's a normal, run-of-the-mill girl. And so the whole movie is about them trying to prepare her to accept her royal position as royalty. And there's this really profound moment. You guys remember when she shows up to the ball, where she's supposed to be coronated as the new princess, and you remember the line that she uses. She starts out, I woke up this morning as Mia Thermopolis, but today and forevermore, and then she gives her full name, I will be Amelia Mijonet Thermopylae Rinaldi Princess of Genovia, y'all remember that? Y'all know that's the gospel. That's the gospel. This is why it's the gospel is because she did not actually do anything. She just learned to accept her true identity. The reality is that she was always the princess of Genovia. She was always royalty. She just had to learn to accept what her true identity was. And I believe as Christians, that is our responsibility as well. That all of us were made in a certain identity as daughters of the one true king, and it is our responsibility today and forevermore to walk in that new identity. And I think as a church, frankly, we have failed you as women. I know women's ministry. I've been a women's minister for a very long time. I joke with people that I live, eat, and breathe all things women's ministry. This is where I'm most comfortable with a room full of women, because you can joke about tampons and things like that. And, uh, And I know women's ministry, And when I was growing up, I wanted to do everything but become a women's minister because so many times all I heard that our greatest role in life was to be a wife and a mom. And the reality is is that is not true. That is not your greatest role in life. Now, are those roles important? Absolutely. But as a church, we have elevated those roles beyond what they should be. That the reality is is that your greatest role in life has to come somewhere beyond what you're going to do in this lifetime. Because we always look at Genesis 1 and 2 to look at how the world should have been. And we look at Revelation about how the world will be. And whatever was in those gardens is what's going to persist forever. Our marriages, our relationships as families, those get transformed when Christ returns. Whoever you end up marrying, if God so chooses that for you, will not be your spouse in heaven. And so the truest and greatest thing about you cannot be something temporary. It's got to be something eternal. And so we have to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and look at what is the greatest and truest calling that I have in my life. Because as a church, we've told you you're just wives in waiting, right? I mean, how do y'all feel the ring by spring pressure here at Baylor? I actually have a t-shirt from Baylor that says ring by spring. At OU, we were just happy to graduate, you know? So the reality is we need to go back and study our scripture and understand what is our true and greatest calling in life. And so we're going to look at Genesis 1 and 2. And so Genesis 1, you guys probably know it well. You've probably heard this told to you, that you were made in the image of God. And you were. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, God says, Let us make mankind male and female in our image. And Genesis 1 is this incredible chapter where we see the grandiosity of all of God's creation. Day 1, he creates the heavens and the earth. Day 2, he goes on. And it's this big 30,000-foot view, this big canopy view of creation. God is powerful. And with the breath of his mouth, he creates everything that we see, including you and me, made in his image. And then in chapter 2, the camera shifts and narrows in on Adam and Eve. And he gets very specific about Adam and Eve. And that's where we're going to look at our text tonight. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. If you have your Bible and you don't mind the wind, you can read along with me. In verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper, second time we see that word, fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, Because she was taken out of me. That word helper is what's used to describe us. And I don't know about you, but the word helper to me doesn't sound that exciting. Anybody like, I want to grow up to be a helper. Maybe the problem isn't with the word in the Hebrew text. Maybe the problem is what we've done with it in the English. That word helper is a much stronger word in the Hebrew. It's the word ezer, E-Z-E-R. It's this incredible term. And it's not some compliant helper. What we've done is we've taken Genesis 2, and we always stick it in the context of family. We say things like, men are not good to be alone, so they need wives. But that's not what's happening in the text. What God is saying is that mankind, the gender, is not okay without womankind, the gender. That mankind, men in their fullness, cannot image God completely. They need women. That what it means to be complementarian is that whatever men have, we complete that as we fully image God. If you want to see what God is like, you can't just look at a man you need a woman too, And that's what's going on in Genesis 2, that we are meant to complete men, and they are meant to complete us. Likewise, you cannot fully image God with just a woman. And so God says, I need to make an azer suitable for him. That word azer is a very strong word. It's not taken out of the household language. It's taken out of the warrior language. It's a wartime word. In fact, it's used 21 times in the Old Testament, 21 times, 16 of which are used of the Lord who is rescuing Israel in a time of distress and warfare. It's a strong word. The word azer, what God is saying here is I'm going to make a strong warrior complimentary to him. As one commentator says that azer is an indispensable companion. An indispensable companion. That is who we are. At the core of who we are, more than being a wife, more than being a mom, more than being a CEO or a lawyer or whatever, a coyote, fill in the blank. More than being a Baylor Bear, more than being a Sooner. I noticed they didn't read that off during my introduction. I don't know why they left that off. More than all of that, we are warriors. That is who we are meant to be. And as a church, we have sold us short. We haven't given to the fullness of who God has created us to be. And so passages that this word azer are also used, you can look at Deuteronomy thirty three twenty nine, 29. And it says, you have joy, Israel, who is like you. You are a people delivered by the Lord, your protective shield. That word protective shield, that's the azer. The one that is protecting Israel in warfare is the same word that God could have used any word to describe woman. And he uses the same word. He goes on in Psalm 121, he says, look to, I look toward the hills from where does my help?'" come? Come from? Where does my Azer come from? It comes from the Lord. Psalm one fifteen. Oh Israel, trust in the Lord; He is their deliverer and protector. Who are you? You are a helper suitable for mankind. You are a warrior. That is who God intended you to be. Strong. We've got to take June Cleaver out of our minds and put in Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. That is who God intended you to be. Did anybody see Black Panther? Anybody want to be a general in his army? Yes. You know what? You're supposed to be. That's not supposed to be odd to us. We're supposed to look at men and women and go, this is what strength looks like. If the very word that God uses to describe himself as a strong helper for the people of Israel is the same word that he uses for us, then he has really high hopes for us as women made in his image. And I think it's important that we understand that. And there's a difference between meek and... And weak. And I know that you guys are at Baylor, and some of you come from the Bible Belt, and I know at times that weak women are often celebrated. I know that, because I'm a strong woman, and I'm often told I'm a little too much, which is absurd. (laughs) God intended us to be strong. And there's a difference between weak and meek. Meek is gentle, and humble, and deferential, and those are all qualities we should ascribe to be. But weak, no. We are meant to be a strong helper suitable for mankind because we are at war in this kingdom. and God did not intend to make weaker vessels so that we could not fight in that war. Everybody is critical in that war. And so when you think about Mia Thermopolis having her moment, I think all of us as believers need to have that moment where we sit down and go, I woke up this morning thinking that I was just a pre-something. I woke up thinking I'm waking for my real life to begin when I'm a wife or I'm a mom or I'm a CEO or I'm a graduate or whatever that is. And I need to tell you now that your identity has already been decided for you. The greatest truth about you was decided when God created you in your mother's womb. And you need to say today and forevermore, I'm an Azer warrior. And I will walk in this identity. I will not be less than because my culture tells me so. I will be everything that God has intended me to be because I'm made in his image I'm valuable and worthy and dignified. And that is what it means to be made in the image of God. And so, so what, right? So you're going, okay, great, I'm, I'm supposed to be Gal Gadot. I don't work out 12 days a week. But I think it has real practical implications for us. And the first one is this, is I know many of you are given gifts of leadership. And I need to tell you, you're meant to lead. Women are meant to lead. In fact, we need you. Guys, I'm in the church world. When you graduate and you get out of college and you go into the church world, and I pray that you all will continue to walk in that, you will look around and go, we're dying out there. There is a real enemy that's waging war against women today. And God has given you gifts of leadership, and you're intended to use them. I love Dale. I love Dale. And the reality is, is he needs y'all. You're going to make him a better man, and he's going to make you better women. That's what it means to lead in the context of co-ed community, that when you walk into the room and you're the only woman in the room, then you're supposed to be there. And then you remember that. In every room that you walk into when you're leading, you ask yourself, who's supposed to be here? And you go get them. We're meant to lead. And I know that because I look at scripture. You look at Judges 4 through 5, and there's an incredible picture of what it means to lead as men and women together. And it's the story of Deborah and Barack. And you'll hear plenty of people say, well, that's because Barack was weak, and so Deborah had to march off to war to help out Barack. That is hogwash, that is not in the Bible. And you know how I know? It's because after Barack and Deborah go to war together, partnering together in leadership because they're both made in the image of God, meant to be strong, together with one voice in Judges 5, they sing praises to the Lord for his victory. Together with one voice, we are meant to lead. And I'm not saying this like, rah, rah, I am woman, hear me roar. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is rah, rah, we're all supposed to lead, men and women together. And we live in a culture that does one of two things to women, right? We either watch commercials or, or sitcoms and the dad is a bumbling fool, right? Thank goodness for women, they saved the day. Thank goodness for women, they found... And that is not okay. And on the other side of that is where we don't need women at all. We've got it. Ladies, you guys take a seat. We got this. Right in the middle is God's design for all of us as men and women Together. There's so many people that have bought into this idea of a zero-sum game. In order for somebody else to win, I have to lose. Or for me to win, they have to lose. And in God's economy, there's enough of it to go around that we all win. That men and women together in leadership is a beautiful picture of what God intended in Genesis 1 and 2 and what God will have in the end in Revelation. That men and women together around the throne singing praises to our Lamb. And So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, should I be using my gifts? yes. Yes, because you're a warrior. It's what you were made to do. The second implication of being a warrior is that we don't need to compare ourselves to others. And I know we do it, right? If I was as smart as her or as pretty as her or as funny as her, right? I always love getting to do these kinds of events where there's a worship team before me, but then I'm always like, really? They got to bring in Jalisa? Like, they couldn't bring in somebody who learned how to sing a week ago? Like How are you supposed to top that? Because I don't have those gifts. Like the other day, my worst nightmare happened at church. I got done introducing the worship team, and they forgot to cut my mic. And so, in the middle of worship, there was this female voice, and I was like, "Where's that coming from? It sounds horrible." <laughs> and then I realized it was me. And then I grabbed the mic, which is a big no-no. I was like, all the way through the service, I was like, "Cool, cool, cool." Worst nightmare. All right. Because <laughs> we do that, right? We look around and go, "I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that." If I was that, and we don't have to do that. First of all, you're a warrior. You think the Amazonians are like, man, I wish I would have been better at bow and arrow, but all I got is this whip. No, (laughs) not at all. But not only that, we look at our scripture, and Romans 12 talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4, spiritual gifts. Why? Because I think God thinks it's important. When he repeats himself over and over again, he thinks it's important. And in those passages, what it says is that when you became a believer, God sent his spirit, the God of the universe, looked down at you and gave you a special gift. He gave you a gift, which is crazy, right? And sometimes we want to look down upon the spiritual gifts that we've been given. Like, I know that there's a hierarchy in church of some gifts being more important than others. I know that. I hear it all the time. But that's absurd when you think about the one that gave you the gift in the first place. I mean, I don't know who you guys think is the coolest people on the planet today. Like, is Brad Pitt a thing? Like, who's is Justin Bieber a thing? Like, who's y'all's thing? Like, who's your guy? But if they walked in here right now, you'd be like, oh, that's a big deal. Anybody? Thor. Thor? There we go. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth. So Chris Hemsworth comes walking in here, and you're chit-chatting with him, and he was like, hey, and he just, like, pulls out a packet of gum, and he hands it to you. Is that not a more special packet of gum? You'd be, like, holding on to that. You probably wouldn't chew it. You'd be like, this is from Thor. Why? Because we think he's important. Now, apply that to the God of the universe who, with the breath of his mouth, created the the cosmos, that he was so intricate in it, he braided the seventh ring of Saturn, he created the blue whale and all of that, and he came to you after you became a believer, and he said, for you, this is my gift to you. You wouldn't throw that away. You wouldn't dishonor it by thinking it's less than. All of our gifts are important. All of them. And when you became a believer, you were given a spiritual gift. Some of you, many spiritual gifts, and it is our responsibility as a church to make sure we value them all. There is nobody more important here tonight worship team, the prayer team, the speaker, Jacob, the only guy in here running the audio. There he is. Sorry about the tampons earlier. <laughs> everybody gets a spiritual gift because we're at war. And because we're at war, everybody is mission critical. Everybody. And so you're tempted to look around, and I get it. Like, I, I, I'm a woman, too. I understand I'm human. But you know what we should do instead of going, oh, I don't have that? We should go, great, I don't have that. Thank God we're on the same team. Do you want to partner together? Like, I get to partner with Jalisa and the worship team because I cannot do what they do. I'm dying to learn how to play the drums. If I could do my childhood over, I'd play one less sport and learn how to play the drums. But that's not the gift that God gave me. And it's good news. It's good news because we take seriously the word of God that says everybody has a gift, which makes everybody mission critical. You matter. You're a warrior. We need you to use your gift. We need you. So if you're not sure what it is, just start serving in a church or in this ministry, and you'll start to figure out what it is that you're good at, and then keep doing it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is a couple of verses that people often memorize because they're really important for it is By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's a gift from God so that no man can boast. But verse 10, which comes right after that often people don't read, says this, for we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. Your mission is so important. God decided it an eternity ago. You are mission critical. That's what it means to be a warrior. That's what it means to be made in the image of God is that when you accepted your salvation, God gave you a gift, and He expects you to use it. and I'm telling you in the church we need you. We need you. So when you look to your right, and you, that's left. when you look to your left, to your right, and you go, "I don't have that," and then praise God that He gave it to someone else, because together. We're going to advance the kingdom. Or maybe you're listening to us and you're going, you know, Nika, that is well and good for all these really great girls who haven't screwed up their lives. But the reality is, is I'm carrying so much guilt and shame, I can't even imagine myself as a warrior. Or I'm in the bondage of sin so much that the idea of fighting, I'm just fighting to catch my breath. And if one more wave comes over me, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it. And this is my message for that is that, look, everybody's screwed up. And the ones that aren't are just pretending to be. Everybody needs help, <laughs> even warriors. And so if you're in the midst of sin, get help. And I don't say that tritely. I mean that because I love you as a big sister to you. If that is you right now, and you're caught in the bondage of, of pornography or sexual sin or, or codependency or alcoholism or drug abuse or whatever it is, then when you got that card when you walked in here, you tell somebody, I need help. And sometimes the most spiritual and beautiful thing you can do is raise your hand and say, I need help. And there's no shame in that. There is no shame in asking for help. But if you have walked through that season and now you just look back on your life and go, I am disqualified because of things I did in my past, then you have misunderstood your identity. You're not a warrior because of what you do and what you haven't done. You're a warrior because God loved you enough to make you one. The God of the universe was perfectly happy in the happy land of the Trinity, before creation, there was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they were perfectly happy amongst themselves. They didn't need anything. They were doing this beautiful cosmic dance, is what C.S. Lewis calls it, and going, I know I love you, no, I love you, no, I love you, no, I love you. They didn't need us. And sometimes it sounds sweet to say God was lonely, so He came to us. No, He wasn't. That would crush us if the God of the universe needed us. No, we're not necessary. So, what does that make us? It makes us an incredibly loved bonus. It means that because God so loved the Trinity that love tends to beget, love creates. We see that. When boy meets girl and they love each other, it begets a marriage. And then they continue to love each other and it begets children and it begets a family. And then if it spills over to the community. Love continuously has ripple effects. And that's what we see in the Trinity is that there was so much love among the Trinity that he made us. So you're not necessary. So you're able to get the help that you need. And you're able to be restored because you're loved beyond what you can comprehend. There's this saying in theology that says the indicative must precede the imperative. The indicative must precede the imperative. You guys are almost college graduates, so the indicative, right, it's a statement that is true, it's factual. The imperative is what you should do. And so many times in the church we get that backwards. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and then you'll be this. No, the indicative is where we start. You are loved. You are made in the image of God. You are a warrior. So walk in that. This indicative does not change based on what you do. No matter what you've done, it doesn't change the fact that you're incredibly well loved. No matter what you've done, it doesn't change the fact of whose image you are made in. Is it marred and hard to see sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. But wherever your sin has gone, his grace will go farther and he will restore you back to walking like a warrior. But the indicative holds up even when you fail in your imperative. So look, I know guilt and shame beat us up. I know we all have our wounds. And I'm just telling you guys, there is freedom. There is freedom from whatever it is that you've done. And there's freedom from whatever it is that you're doing. So if you need help, then get help. But if you're just holding on to these past sins and struggles that you have, then, then be free. And he loves you more than you can fathom. Your identity does not come from your fitness it comes from your faithful, his faithfulness. So your identity as a warrior is not because you're really good at what you do or really good at playing that game. It's because he's faithful. That is who you are. It's because of his faithfulness, not yours. It's because of how he made you. Last one, or not last one. Ha <laughs> ha, just kidding. <laughs> Next one. Thought you were getting out of here early. Recognizing that we're warriors, we need, we need to work on our identity just like Mia Thermopolis, just like owning that. And the reality is, is that it's really cute in the movie that she says, now and forevermore, I'm going to be this princess. But we all know how that works in Christianity, right? I know I'm a warrior. I know I'm made in God's image. I know I'm loved. And then you, you get to the rest of the day, and by the time your head hits the pillow, you're thinking, I sure didn't live like one. Could have done this better. Maybe God loves me just a little bit less. Maybe he's a little bit disappointed in me. And it's part of why, as Christians, we have to consistently remind ourselves of who we are on a regular basis who you are and whose you are over and over and over you wake up every morning you look in the mirror and go i'm mia thermopolis princess of no don't say that that's weird (laughs) but i don't at the risk of sounding cheesy like you are daughters of a king and i and i'm not really that cheesy of a speaker so i don't have like tiaras for you guys to be like you're all princesses right like I'm not a feel-good speaker. I just tell you the theological truth that the reality is is that you are, in fact, a daughter of a king. That is who you are, that there is a king that died and rose from the dead, and we're going to celebrate it this weekend, and I hope you will celebrate heartily unto the Lord. But I know that we're Americans, but we're all obsessed with the royal culture, aren't we? Anybody else like Meghan Markle? Oh, my gosh, I never saw that coming. How many of y'all, no, y'all are way too young. Anybody stay up for the royal wedding? Like, y'all would have been like five. Yeah, y'all did. Okay, yeah. You grew up on Disney princesses. Everybody's obsessed with this understanding of royalty, and the reality is that is who you are. And so we have to remind ourselves of our identity over and over and over. And not only that, we have to remind each other. We have to remind each other. That's the, the value of community. That's why you guys come to these things. It's that we become human lie detectors for each other. You begin talking to your friend and she goes, I'm just not good enough. No, that's not true. I'm just, I'm just not that great at this. Stop. It's okay that you're not great. So-and-so is great. We'll get her to do that. This is what you're great at. So you stay in your lane and you do that. We become human lie detectors for each other. And We remind ourselves over and over and over again as to who we are and whose we are. Now I'm really dating myself. Any cool running fans? No, yeah. It's a really funny scene in the movie where one of the... It's a Jamaican bobsled team. Did y'all know there was actually a Jamaican bobsled team? Not like recently, but several years ago? Yeah. So they made a movie about it. It's a Disney movie, and it's probably worth your entertainment to watch it. But there's a scene where one of the guys has to stand up to his father because his father's not pleased with his choice to become a bobsledder. And so his friend is trying to remind him of who he is. And so they're standing in front of the mirror, and in the worst Jamaican accent I can use, he goes, Do you know what I see? I see strength, I see power, I see a bad man who don't take no crap from nobody, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, so I tell that to my roommate sometimes when I know she has a big day ahead of her, I'm like, I see strength, and she's like, okay, that's I'm getting in the car, but that's our job as believers, you want know I see when I look at you guys, unbelievable potential as a bunch of image bearers of God, the warriors sitting here today of what God could do if you would let him be unleashed in your life. That is who you are. I don't see screw-ups. I don't see less than. I don't see what could be. I see what is. A well-loved contingency. That if they grasp a hold of who they are and whose they are, you might just change the world. And I'll be excited to watch it. I have a seven-year-old niece, and um, when I first rehearsed this talk, I have a, a roommate that's really brutally honest with me, and sometimes I get angry face when I teach. And it's what I'm really passionate, and it can get a little scary. And, uh, and I was doing angry face, and she was like, why are you so upset? And I was like, I, I think I am angry. Like, I'm so angry at what the w- world is throwing at y'all. Like, I hate that. I wish I could just be your big sister and follow you around. Every time a temptation comes your way, like, slap their hand. I'm like, uh oh, brother, uh-uh. No. All of a sudden, you see, like, super skinny girl run by came as I'm like, that's okay. You don't need to be a runner. Ain't everybody a runner? Let's go get a donut. Like, I, I just listen to what you guys are up against. And so I, I, I thought about that. And why, and I was like, I'm so, because I think about my, my seven-year-old niece. And I, I think about the world that she like, I didn't grow up with Facebook. Like, I didn't grow up knowing I was missing out on the party in live time. Like, I had to go back to school on Monday and be like, there was a party? <laughs> and it hurt a little less. Right? I wasn't like, oh, yeah. Like, I didn't have to watch my ex with his arm around another girl in photos over and over again. Like, I didn't live in that world. Like, I don't live in a world where everything was Photoshopped, so everybody's a size zero. Like, that wasn't the world I lived in. And, and you guys do. And my niece will. I mean, my niece is seven, and her parents got her a cell phone, despite me crying. Please don't do that to her. I know the predators that come for y'all. The ego and the pride and the comparison and the sexual sin and everything. You guys live in a very different world than I do, and I'm not that much older than you, and I study you guys. I, I read up on you, and I, I'm angry for the world that you live in. So, I'm trying to prevent my niece having as much heartache as, as she could. And so, what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to train her. And so, I, I love Jaden very much. And so, we play this game every time I see her. And I go, Jaden, who loves you? Who loves you? And Naika. I'm like, yeah. And early on, I would go, do you know why I love you? And she'd be like, well, because I make good grades. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, you get checks, like, you're not even really in school. <laughs> And she's not that obedient, so it couldn't have been that. And so she would just, I, I don't, and I would always go, because you're mine. Do you know why I love you? Why? Because you're mine. I say this to her over and early on, she'd be like, no, I'm mommy and daddy's. I'm like, but you're mine too. God gave you to me to be my niece. And that's why I love you. And why am I doing that? Because I need Jaden to know that. So when the first time that she really messes up, she doesn't have to worry about coming to her aunt Nike and wondering if I'm going to love her. Because my love for her is not contingent on what she does or doesn't do. I love her because God gave her to me. Y'all, that is how God loves you. You know why he loves you? Because you're his. Because he made you in, in his image. He loves you because you're his. And so over and over again, when you mess up and you're thinking, who can I turn to? Run to him. He's not disappointed in you. He's so grateful that you would come to him. Last thing that I'm going to say about this of the so what of what it means to be a warrior is that I've talked a lot about this warrior imagery and so you may be thinking that I want you to like rah, rah, run out of here and really put your best effort into it but here's the crazy thing about being strong is your strongest when you're on your knees when you're praying. Acts 1 is an incredible story where the The disciples have all watched Jesus rise from the dead, and and he tells them, I'm going to go away so that the spirit can come. And they ask him, are you inaugurating your kingdom? Because they fully understand he's a king, and they're like, I don't know what kind of kingdom has a king that can't die, but I definitely want to be a part of it. And they want power, because that's how the world runs, is on power, and everybody wants it. And so the disciples ask that, and Jesus goes, yes, I am inaugurating my kingdom, but it's not like what you think it is. It's a much bigger and wider one that's going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to all the ends of the earth. And don't leave this room until the Spirit comes because that is where your power comes from. The reality of being an Azer warrior is not that we muscle our way through life. It's that we get on our knees and ask God to be strong through us. That His Spirit empowers and enlivens and strengthens us to get through the day. You cannot on your own muster your way out of comparison. You cannot muster your way out of sin but you can get on your knees and ask him to do it for you. The same God that when he faces the enemy is going to vanquish him with the breath of his mouth. When our God fights, he fights like a lamb. We're going to celebrate Easter, and and Jesus mocks Satan on Good Friday. He looks at the enemy and says, give me your best shot. So the enemy kills him, and he popped right out of that grave. I mean, you imagine him walking around like, that was your best shot? What now, sucker? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm super excited about Easter. I try walking on water. Um, there's no water here. Can you imagine, though, the enemy after seeing Jesus come out of that grave? That's how we're to fight. We fight like lambs. We don't muscle up to whatever it is that we have in life. We recognize where our true strength comes from, and that comes from the Lord. And so here are just my final thoughts on this. is one. God loves you. He loves you far more than you can fathom. I know it because he made you in his image. I know it because he knit you in your mother's womb. I know it because his word declares that everything in this world was created for your enjoyment and your good and his glory. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. If you get nothing else out of this, just walk out of here telling yourself, God loves me. But I also think we need to be a little bit like the princess diaries. And we need to consistently remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are. Made in his image, meant to be strong, meant to be leaders, meant to walk in the fullness of who we are, meant to use our gifts because we're mission critical, meant to remind others to use their gifts. And together as women, we belong to a kingdom where our greatest power is brought forth when we're on our knees, begging God to do something that only he can do. And you have the chance to do that here in Waco and beyond, and I hope you will do that because you are well loved. Let me pray for you all. Father, thank you that um, you love us. Thank you that because you love us, you could have made us animals. You could have made us like the angels. You could have made us like a lot of different creatures, but instead you chose to make us in your image. And you intend for us to be strong and mighty because you are strong and mighty. You intend for us to be loving and kind because you're loving and kind. And you intend for us to walk in the fullness of knowing whose we are, who we are. And that is truly good news to us. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross. Thank you that you, by the power of your spirit, rose him out of the dead. And thank you that we know that we look forward to a real kingdom where we will see our king face to face. But in the meantime, help us to live as royalty here in this kingdom now. It's by the blood of the son and the power of the spirit that I ask these things. Amen.